Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of Kyle's Thoughts. Today, I'm joined by Nick Barham, a sales expert and also music genius, creating his own stuff out there on the East Coast. Uh, Nick, you know, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about you? Uh, that was a very flattering introduction. Um, but but yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to recently, um, doing a lot of work in tech sales. Uh, yeah, really is... is just to make money. But at the same time, I do kind of take pride in my work at this point. Um, really interesting technology, really interesting space and a lot of transferable skills, as you probably know, um, you know, the, being able to sell something, whether it's technology, whether it's a, a roof or whatever you're selling um, is just such a valuable skill. And on the subject matter of, of music, um, it's definitely something that I think is going to help me in the future as I kind of continue having to um, you know, describe what I do and and really kind of uh, explain value. But but yeah, I, the overarching sort of mission of mine, you know, as like a, a, an agent in this world, so to speak, is the blues, right? Um, ever since I was a kid, I knew that that was what I had to achieve. Now, it took years to figure out what achieving that even meant um but that's that's kind of my my mission is to be a pioneer of the blues and as a musician um as a, a songwriter as a guitarist um trap blues became um a really unique and um yeah a really unique way um to sort of bring the blues into um you know certain homes that perhaps I wouldn't come into. Um, so, so that's, that's a little bit about me. Um, I'm trying to think of like the best words to use here, but I, I think that that's kind of a good um, synopsis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. I mean, first off, I think the way that you've done it, it really combines kind of like the appeal of the old kind of like jazzy blues the guitar the lyrics but with kind of more of that like modern sound that we're used to hearing on like a lot of like popular like hip-hop tracks or, or things that are on the radio and so definitely like it 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 hits like a nice place on like two different sides of like nostalgia and like in your ears um and so it's definitely very unique and i'll include some of that here for you guys to listen to um but First, I want to get into the sales stuff because I know kind of music is probably more your passion. So it'll be really easy to kind of dig deep into. But mm -hmm. going back to the sales, I mean, how did that all start? Did you know, like coming out of you know college, like, OK, I want to no, get into no, sales yeah. or, or how that whole process go? Um, you know, it's it's incredible, like the the journey it took me in kind of, you know, going from that initial sort of boot camp with you um, just busting out a hundred dollars a day, grinding the cold calls um any means necessary uh all the way up to now which is a lot of you know more kind of meticulous work to really sort of um pull a lot of strings at once and 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 land um you know some pretty tasty deals with with the dod and the and the defense industrial base as a whole so it's um and like i mentioned in the beginning it's something i'm, I'm really thankful that i kind of stumbled my way into but leaving college it was absolutely not um, something I was thinking about. Um, I think that I graduated in such a unique time for many reasons, but um, so I graduated in 2020, which is obviously an infamous year. And um, like so many people who graduated that year, it really 
turned upside down what I thought my plan after graduation was. Um, but I mean, obviously COVID was a terrible thing, but it, it, it actually had some positive um, outcomes for me because that that first year where it was really kind of rampant before kind of the, the, the pre-vaccine era, mm-hmm. um, I spent um completely quarantined um you know maybe one or two times I, I sort of like cheated a bit but but mostly i was actually very sort of you know careful about uh not catching it um so i spent about a year in isolation um i didn't have a job um I, my idea was look you know i might as well just spend this year working on music it's um it's a unique situation i should probably grasp it so um, I stayed with, at my parents' house for a year. I lived in their basement, and in their basement, there was a closet that was probably too small to be a walk-in closet, but big enough where you can kind of fit um, <laughs> like yourself in. So what I did is I bought a bunch of like acoustic foam and um, this tiny little desk, some lights, and a mic shut the door and, and left a year later, so to speak. Um, and, and I really sort of just worked on, on my craft. Um, it was a really important year in terms of the transition of the type of blues I was listening to. I went into college listening to a lot of kind of 1950s Chicago blues. And I left college being really interested in what they call pre-war blues. So a lot of sort of Texas, Mississippi, Georgia, 1920s, 1930s blues. And then right when the pandemic hit, I'm kind of stuck in that closet just um studying the blues philosophically musically and um really perfecting my my craft and i ended up recording my first ep which till till this day is is really my most successful project um relative to everything that i've done um my i recorded a song stolen pony that brought um you know a, a small but rewarding kind of group of of consistent listeners um so that's what i was up to post-graduation i wasn't even like thinking too much about getting a job you know i knew like okay i have a, I have a pretty good degree um i'm in a good situation you know employers understand that there's that this year gap um it can be contextualized by you sure. know, the uniqueness of of the situation so yeah by the time the vaccines rolled around um i was basically like you know i was pretty great um really took that year to also kind of just detox from college and and kind of throw myself into the world of blues so i was super thankful for it but i was like all right it's time to get a job um so i i just like applied a bunch of places that to be completely candid with you i applied for the places that didn't require cover letters um (laughs) and surprise surprise memory blue was the first phone call i got and I was um at this point I was working in a restaurant as a runner and I absolutely fucking hated it. It it was awful. And it got to a point where I was like, I'll just take whatever I can get and I'll kind of work my way from there. Um because I was kind of agnostic about the industry I was going into. I studied philosophy with a concentration in bioethics. So it provided me with a really broad skill set. Um so the advantage was I didn't really have to be too picky about the field I was going in. Hmm. um so you know I, I thought i was like okay this is funny sales and i was like i can kind of see myself going down this route um and and then yeah as you know you kind of 
obviously were with me for a lot of that journey whereas from initial kind of um you know sdr boot camp to um eventually getting hired out by our respective clients and um really sort of immersing ourselves into the industry um so so yeah it's not to, to answer your question quickly um it was not something i looked into going getting out of college um but it makes sense i think you know with the philosophy the philosophy degree looking back at it it's very like arg- argumentative um and that's not that doesn't mean like combative obviously just like the art of crafting an argument sure um, logical you know, thinking logical thinking um yeah everything like that and so yeah that's how i ended up here no that that makes a lot of sense i think it's interesting you kind of hit on that point of like with a you know not a stem degree or like a hard science degree um but more of like from the arts like having that be able to open the door for like multiple pathways for you i think is something that not a lot of people like really think about when it comes to like when they're majoring and things you know oftentimes i know like when i was in college like it was kind of like a joke degree right to get like philosophy political science um you know any soft science or any of those kind of like liberal arts degrees because it was like well what are you going to go do with that and it's like well i could do whatever i want with that like you're trapped you're locked into being an engineer or a doctor or you know a business owner or whatever depending on like kind of those more popular i'd say like career degrees um so if you you know you want to be a engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is um you know it's obviously great to 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 know that you want to do that from a young age and go down that route. But if you're like me in college, not really knowing what my career path would be, mm-hmm. um, you know, liberal arts is, is a good, uh, you know, skill set to have. Um, and, and something like sales is, is something that all walks of life can come and kind of like apply their own, um, you know, specialties towards, but, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I heard, all of it when I was in college from some of my friends studying like business and finance and whatever it may be kind of taking the mickey out of me like oh yeah you're excited to serve fries after <laughs> college but uh kind of, yeah jokes on them because I'm making three trillion dollars a month um <laughs> but, but right. no, it, the, the thing is is jokes on them because now we're both kind of in the business stage except I feel like I was able to study something really interesting Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that really kind of helped me, um, you know, think about things, I think, in a way that maybe other disciplines, you wouldn't think of things that way. Um, you know, tackling things from outside the box, different angles, um, really kind of exercising the part of your brain that breaks down dilemmas, um, and, you know, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you kind of hit the head nail on the head there when you talk about like sales, like kind of being the thing that could attract almost anybody. Um I've said, you know, to a lot of people who ask me about like getting into it, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. Um, I think you do have to be kind of comfortable with rejection, comfortable with kind of like hitting the brick wall over and over again and just going back after it every day. Um, and it does get very like monotonous. Right. And it kind of sucks at times if you're like in a, a cold or a, a, a the dip, if you will, um, where like the money or the commission is not really coming in and you're kind of just like, all right, like, come on, man, like, can I get a conversation, please? But uh, it is very rewarding if you, if you do stick with it and you can do well. So well said there, indeed. Um, speaking of memory blue and that whole experience, uh, you know, looking back on it now in hindsight, how, how do you feel? Do you feel like it was, you know, a key moment and kind of a shift for you in your career? Or do you think it was just kind of like one thing happened, you got lucky and now you're kind of are where you're at? 
Uh, probably mostly the latter. I think that um, it, it put me in the spot to to get noticed. Um, mm. It's kind of like uh, you know, say you want to be a famous soccer player, you want to play for Arsenal's first team, and you join their academy, and there's like a hundred kids your age, sort of like training every day, and the scouts are watching. It. And then they was like, "Oh, that guy right there, he's he's pretty decent. Let's um let's get him to the first team." Um, so it kind of it, it worked well to kind of I think get me noticed. Um, I don't think that the company itself was really um anything horrible or amazing. Um, I think it was just kind of a good sort of stepping stone. Um, it was really just six months. Um, you know, I think a, a, just a lot of practice on on that kind of like um first stage of sales right and then, um but, but yeah that's if that answers your question i'm not sure if it does no yeah because uh, i think too for me it was like it was more of just like um a means to an end um, yeah no I, I, and, I, and, and, I, I don't mean to cut you off but that kind of reminds me um you know i didn't it's funny i i barely even brought up to anyone that i that like my actual like motivation in life my actual end goal was to make music because I had such a like, um, I don't know, such a like uh, a tunnel vision sort of stoic approach to Memory Blue, where it was like I'm again here, and all my only thing is me sales during this like nine to five period, and then I will do what I have to do to kind of make that next step, um, and then and then you know I think now I'm in a you know a better spot where I can um, I don't know it's. Uh, it, it, the 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 nice thing about sales is it's not like really a nine to five um you know you know what you need to get done kind of make your own schedule you're kind of your own boss in many ways um you know and and, and do what you can to come the end of the quarter be able to to show for something um but yeah i think memory blue was was very much like a means to an end and, and it's also i think it was good to like show people that it was for them or if it wasn't for them i think a lot of people mm -hmm. who went into memory blue who couldn't book a meeting for their life um you know i i think that hopefully they saw that as okay sales isn't for me you know i'm glad I, i'm glad i was able to figure that out early and now i can go down a path that is good for me right because mm -hmm. i could have gone to the memory blue of i don't know some other industry and turned out like oh geez i kind of suck at this okay time to get out so um it, i think it was you know a, a, your typical sort of like post-grad um first kind of job situation and then um you know whether you continue or say in sales or not kind of gives you that sort of baseline to go off of yeah absolutely like i think it's like obviously not like the greatest job in the world and uh i feel for some of my like you know old buddies and colleagues who are still there like waiting to get their offer letter or waiting to get hired out or move on or whatever um but at the same time it's like I, I am thankful for the experience and like kind of the foundation that it gave me and it kind of opened my eyes to like this whole career path in general like i had no idea that like you know tech sales was like such like a sought after like niche or niche to get into um until it was like after i was in it you know and then you just constantly see like people on linkedin like how do i get into like tech sales like how do i like break into this industry and it kind of felt like oh shit like i just got like lucky like i just like fell yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of a hack um i i i definitely had like a little bit of imposter syndrome in like my kind of earlier months at steel cloud just thinking like you know okay i was great at like 
this type of sales, but now in kind of the real world, um, like, do they even know who I am? Like these people in this meeting, but um, it was it was important to kind of get over that because I mean I think a lot of people our age get imposter syndrome early on, and it's not always like a bad thing necessarily. It might motivate you to kind of stay on your toes, but um. But yeah, I, I, it, it is funny because I do have friends who kind of ask me about tech sales, like, hey, do you think there's something I should get into? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the stereotype is like, you know, as long as you're social, um, if you can talk to people, like, that's why you're good at sales. People think like, because I got into sales, they think it's because I'm like, you know, a social guy who's like, you know, can have a, hold a good conversation. But I think we both saw at Memory Blue, that's not the case. You know, you can be like the most popular guy in a room. Um, but I think the, the the ones who really kind of progress in sales are ones who, um, I'm not saying I'm all these things, by the way, but people who are like well-organized, people who can handle objections well, people who can solve complex problems. And of course, you have to be able to talk to someone, you have to be able to be someone's friend. Um, but I think with everyone who asked me about like, should I get into tech sales? So I was like, yeah, you know, I feel like I can talk to people, but that's really kind of the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I always tell people like the number one thing that for me that I think really led to my success in sales was empathy, like going into every conversation, being empathetic of like the person you're talking to and being like, okay, if I was in that role, what, and these were my pain points, what would I want it to do for me? And then being able to kind of use that to frame kind of the way I would handle objections or, you know, mm -hmm. speak to like the value of the software that we were selling or pitching mm -hmm. and, and kind of make it make sense for them that like, I'm not here just to like cash a check for me, but I'm trying to help you solve X, Y, and Z problem. No, that um, that's a good, that that's a good point. Cause sometimes I feel like there's maybe like a, a negative connotation of people in sales that they're trying to push something on you. Mm -hmm. But I think when you get to the level of sales that we're in, and what I mean by that is, you know, working in the public sector, um, you know, selling really complex technology for a very high price is you cannot find success by trying to like push it on someone, by trying to convince someone they need something that they don't. So at the end of the day, when a sale is made in that on that level, it's because the person buying it really needs it. And as a salesperson, you're not trying to you're not trying to convince someone they need something they don't. You're just trying to help them realize a problem that exists. And even if they already know the problem and they already want to buy a software, you're obviously you know kind of just helping them move through the complex process of buying you know top technology. Yeah, I think yeah, you said it perfectly there, right? You're being a guide. You're not being a, a pushy car salesman yeah. like the the horrible stereotypes that everybody gets yeah. of salespeople. Yeah. It's it's all about, yeah, exactly that, like helping people. Like I used to say, you know, the way that I kind of keep like a positive attitude about it, or like don't get down is like, it doesn't matter to me whether they book or don't book or buy or don't buy. The end of the day, it's like, did I help them? Did they get some value out of the conversation we had? And if the answer is yes, then that's a win in my book. You know what I mean? And yeah. so just by keeping that mind and like framing it that way, I feel like it's so much more beneficial in the long run for like your own mental health to like not get in the dumps when like you're not, you know, closing, uh, maybe <clears throat> first period of time but yeah. like anything it's a cycle right like you have there's there's reasons why there's a boom and a bust is because it's not always going to be you know killing it every single day every single week so you got to be used to that mm -hmm. no i agree 100 so with your sales career i mean do you see that kind of being as something that you're going to keep pursuing um as like your day gig 
Or is it just kind of like do the sales thing until I have either enough money or the music thing takes off enough to where I can get really go after what you care about? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, that's a question that kind of hovers over my head pretty often recently. Um, it's not the easiest thing in the world to work in sales at this level and try to pursue a career in music and it's not even like the time consumption it's mostly really just like the the mind consumption if you will like the the mental energy spent um you know the when you really focus on getting something across the line um mm -hmm. you know your brain is asking you to kind of switch off a little bit um so so it's challenging and i don't think that it it's very sustainable um, I, I think that like in the long term, like I, I don't think I'm going to be in tech sales, um, you know, I don't know, like five, 10 years down the line. I don't think that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, even if I'm in sales, it'll probably be towards a music career. I mean, the music industry, I mean, a lot of that stuff, a lot of that work I was doing with Red Space was really strategic because I saw, okay, if I'm good at tech sales, if I can do the same thing in the music industry, understand you know, get the the necessary in, uh, industry knowledge and and you know network proficiently to the point where I can kind of insert my own music. Um, so I was thinking, okay, so I can I have my tech sales to show for, and I can and I can show this Red Space project as well, kind of like a case study, um, which was actually really successful, just kind of mimicking the sales cycle and 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 kind of increasing their their numbers. Um, so that's one route I'm looking at is making the transition, not not now, maybe next year or the year after that. Um, I'm not in a rush in any way, but at some point in the next couple of years, moving to the music industry and then leveraging that to insert my neck bar him persona, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, another idea, I, I'm, and, and these are all, you know, nothing's like really winning over the other. Um, I'm just at a stage where I'm kind of brainstorming. Um, so another idea is just, you know, work at Steel Cloud for a couple more years or whatever. Um, and once I've saved up X amount, quit, move somewhere where my solve music um, is more uh, formidable. Um, and then, I don't know, like bartend or something and and just just really try to push myself musically so come in with all the resources i need in terms of equipment um strategy uh saved up money um so that's one route that's kind of like the 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 make it or break it type of route the one i was talking about earlier is a little more strategic but you know a lot slower um and then another side of me thinks well okay maybe i can just toughen up and just try to do both at once um so i think those are kind of like my three ideas but i think the one consistent one is that i know that as interesting as working in tech is as um rewarding as it can be and as, as many skills as i picked up from it and it has made me a smarter person a, a you know broader skills and everything at the end of the day i know it's not um what i'm here to do and i don't mean that in like a spiritual way of like i was here to do something it i mean it more so as like i know for a fact that my thing is the blues that's my specialty in life that's um yeah that's my kind of overarching motivation behind you know why i do the things i do 
So at the end of the day, I know that I'll be in that space and not the the tech sales space. That's like fascinating. I mean, what would you say? You know, I'm sure some people who might hear that will be like, Nick, you're absolutely insane. Like you're making probably six figures a year right now doing what you're doing. You're inevitably just going to keep making more and more money if you stick with it. Like why throw it all away to to chase a dream? Well, I have a few <laughs> answers to that, but I think that like music is seen or a career in music is, I think, unfairly seen as a very make it or break it situation. I mean, it can be depending on what your end goal is, I guess. But um, I think chasing your dream kind of takes away from, you know, what you're really doing when you work in music um, or when you're making music, so to speak. Like, I mean, I would love to, you know, be like fucking a-list celebrity known as like the trap blues guy i'm not don't get me wrong i'd be lying if i said i didn't um but you know i've i've got about i think a hundred people who i've never met but this is just based off of like spotify feedback and analytics i know there's between like 100 to 200 people who um have listened to me um just as much as any other artists they've listened to um because it kind of shows you like you know people's like top playlists like top listens and all that and those numbers are peanuts compared to a lot of more successful artists but at the end of the day um even if you if you've touched a handful of people if you're able to influence a handful of people you know yeah that's i've already made a lot of success in my own eyes you know if if i don't become like a famous Mm -hmm. rock star or anything it's not a failure to me so the whole thing of you know chasing your dreams, I don't think it's as um, you know do or die as people might think it is. The other thing about that is, I know you touched on like making money, but at the end of the day, you got to think, you know, what are you making money for, right? Um, people have their their motivations behind it. Like people might be making money to support a family. People might be making money to advance their education. People might be making money just to have a a great life and go on fancy trips and have big houses. And it's all, you know, fair play to whatever you want to do. Right. For me, my motivation is music. So well, what's the, is, is the blues, right? So what's the point of making a lot of money if it's um, actually doing more harm than good to what I want to do? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I'd, I'd rather be poor and happy than rich and sad, you know, and then that's kind of like a false dichotomy, but um the, the reason why i'm saying that is, is it's you know you you want to make money for what can get you so it's it's just it's not about the money for me you know it's it's about the blues that's that's what like i i ha- i feel like i almost have like an ethical duty to do everything in my power to shine a light on blues artists from 100 years ago who were buried by um the history books yeah no i see it now you've kind of changed i guess what the conventional conception of success means to you right and so i guess from that framework i can see how that makes sense how it's like like you said like the money isn't the end goal it's it's simply a, a tool to get to what you want in life and so for you if that's music then having excess money is is irrelevant really in the grand picture of things yeah and music is obviously i mean sorry money is obviously imperative to you know music like you need to spend money you need to invest in yourself but you have to at the end of the day come to a certain balance of the time and the the focus that's required to make the money that you need 
Um, so it's all just, these are all things that have to come into consideration. They're, they're things that I think about constantly because, you know, I don't have the answers right now, but, you know, I'm not going to like rush anything, make any kind of rash decision. Sure. Yeah. That's the philosophy major in you right there. <laughs> Trying to deal with your little qualms about what you're going to do. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, this obsession or I guess passion with the blues. When did that start? Yeah. You said it was when you were um, a kid. Like, can you yeah. trace it back to its origins? I, I can for sure. So <laughs> I, you know, it, I, I got, I got the music gene, I guess. Cause I, re I even remember like, you know, as a little child, like I enjoyed music, but whatever. Um, I think the, the first thing that I can think of in terms of the journey from, from, from then till now is I was about five years old and my parents had a very close family friend who's practically an uncle called Mario. And Mario decided that my older brother, who was probably around six or seven at the time, was old enough to learn about his favorite band and my current favorite band, the Beatles. Mm -hmm. um, he was saying, okay, Leon, my older brother is old enough. So let me show it to him. So he's playing the Beatles to my brother. Um, and you know, fair play to my brother. He he has good music taste. I just don't think the Beatles was well, he ended up becoming a Beatles fan through me, but at the at that time, at that day, he wasn't really kind of into it. But me, on the other hand, my five-year-old self kind of sneaks behind the wall because I I it's like my ears just lost their virginity. It was like this crazy sensation, and I was just like, hold on a second. So that was my initial obsession, right? So all throughout like my childhood really that i i will i was listening to their stuff every single day um i mean i, I still i'm still a big Beatles fan but I, this is a stage where that that was like my like thing mm -hmm. um and i wanted to be a, an, an art i wanted to make music that's what i wanted to do i just never had my like calling like musically like in the skill set point of view um and then when i was 12 years old in middle school that was the like uh, fucking blues renaissance of my life, if you will. And what happened was my parents had this massive uh, CD collection of, of music they collected from their travels around the world, um, all sorts of different styles. And the, I just remember this one day, I was kind of just bored, like upstairs, like going through like random old shit, you know, whatever a 12 year old does to, past the time <laughs> and then um and then i came across this one cd by an artist called memphis slim and the title of the cd was the blues is everywhere and i just thought like that's kind of it was an enticing title mm. um it caused me to actually pick it up and give it a look um my parents were never big blues fans they never you know really told me anything about the blues um I think my dad was really into classical music. My mother was into more like traditional Brazilian music. Um, they've come to really appreciate the blues through me over time. But the fact that they had that CD was a bit random. But to be fair, they had a bunch of random genres, right? Anyway, so I pick up CD, look in the back, and recognize this <coughs> song <coughs> called Kansas City, which is uh, one of kind of the main blues standard songs. But at the time, I recognized it because the Beatles had done a cover of it. So I was like, oh, let me listen to it. Anyway, I play that CD, track one, 
And I think within about 10 to 20 seconds, I just knew. Within those, I was like, oh, this is what I am. Okay, I figured it out. I was like, okay, I'm the blues. I always say Memphis Slim introduced me to the blues. Um, and yeah, from that day on, for for better or for worse, I've just been on this like um <laughs> this really like like insanely focused journey of the blues. And over time it kind of progressed into the niche within the blues that I got into, and then developing my own style as a blues artist so on and so forth um so yeah that was 13 years ago if i knew the math right um and yeah ever since then i've been on a on on a blues pilgrimage that will probably end the day i die and what is it about the blues that like draws you in the most is it is it the lyrics is it the, the instruments used what about it that's really like the enticement i i think that like that when i'm describing that day um, it wasn't something that I can really describe. Um, I was just, I just have that. I'm just, I was born to listen and play the blues and I didn't figure it out until I was introduced to the blues. Um, right now, because, you know, I've I've really kind of spent so many years thinking about that myself, what draws me into the blues? Well, it's a lot of things. Um, I think the sound is dope. Um you know, I mean, the, the blues is a very wide and varied genre. It comes in all different shapes, forms, and sizes. It, you, yeah, you can put a bunch of blues songs together and they sound nothing like each other. Um, I'm a big fan of, for instance, jug bands, which is a type of blues where you have some kind of makeshift instruments um, and you have this different kind of sound when it comes together. I'm a big fan of like ragtime folk blues, which people might think sounds like a little Bob Dylan-y because, you know, he got influence from them or very kind of folky, um, very kind of intricate, intricate uh, finger picking. Um, there's like Delta Slide blues, which is um, probably my most sort of prominent as an artist. Um, you got like the big band, Chicago. We got rock and roll blues, jazz blues, all different kinds of blues. So you may ask, well, if they sound so different, then why is it that you are so obsessed with the blues, if that makes sense? So it cannot be really just the instrument or the sound or the or the lyrics, but there's a certain thing that's consistent that combines all these different kinds of blues into one single doctrine. And I think that is really just like the philosophy behind the blues. It's like... Um, it's almost like a like a religion it, it, the, the blues i think it's a it's a way it, it really goes beyond music music is just one way i think of performing the blues but i think the blues is it's a it's a state of mind it's a lens in which you observe the world your surroundings the way you deal with adversity or um you know even the positive things in life it's the way it kind of you know that's that's just it's your tool set um and it, it's a time it's a kind of philosophy that i guess binded me from such a young age and i think it's so powerful um it's it's the blues itself really is the the secure baseline of um modern american music and there's a reason for that um now what i think has also happened is it's been extremely 
that is gracefully overlooked and systematically overlooked. Um, particularly that early 1920s, 30s era, which I think is a richest era of blues, has just been like buried um, by by the history books. And so my my journey, my overarching goal as a blues artist is to revive those earlier blues artists, revive the themes, their philosophy, their ideas. Um, and so Trap, for instance, I see that as a vehicle to, to kind of bring them back to life and reach certain target audiences. Um, so that that's, and my, my final kind of like, you know, dissertation is not the right word because it was undergrad, but like my final kind of like project for my major was making the argument that this is a type of philosophy. It's not, um, it's never going to be really a, a required philosophy course. It's never going to be seen on par with, you know, certain aspects of Western philosophy. But to me, I think these people were philosophers. The blues itself is such a fascinating doctrine. And um, there are certain things about them, about the their perceptions, the connotations that caused them to not be seen with that seriousness. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I, at this point, I'm kind of just rambling, but basically just to conclude it, it's the, it's the ideas that brought me towards it. And obviously the sound itself, I think is just so, so beautiful um, that brought me towards it. And then the kind of frustration of the way that it's been, um, you know, sort of locked away is that kind of added motive to be an artist and to use my skill set, my resources to kind of push that engine as much as I can. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think your passion for it is quite unique. I don't think I've ever met someone who's so deep into like the lore of the music they like, for lack of better words, and no, understands I, I kind of the history of it. Uh, in that sense. And for those people who, you know, might not even know what the blues are, I mean, how would you describe it to them? Cause like you do talk about it, right? Like it's, it's a, it's an old, it's a, a time of the past, a hundred year old kind of way of making music that really isn't very popular. Like not in the same sense that, you know, like you said, the Beatles, like people still listen to the Beatles, right? Like they still have a pretty prominent fan base or listening base. Whereas the blues is feel like it's a very small niche. So how, how do you, would you it, define it, is, it to somebody it is. who's never heard it? And that's, you know, sometimes it's hard because I feel like the, the the more years I go by studying the blues, the harder it becomes to answer that question. Um, but and maybe that's the beauty of it. It it is the beauty of it, but I think the 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 blues to me is. I'm trying to think of the best way to really position it. Um, to me, the, the blues is something that's kind of with you um, every second of your life. Um, you, you wake up in the morning and you stretch and you kind of knock over a glass of water and it sort of spills everywhere and you kind of just start your day like, ah, fuck, you know, I mean, it's such a minor inconvenience, but it's just like, ah, oh, geez, okay. And you're, you get some paper towels and you and wipe it up. That's the blues. You walk over to the kitchen um, time to make some breakfast and you realize you forgot to grocery shop the day before 
but you don't have time to go get food. You just got to start working on the stomach. That's the blues. You, um, you leave to go take the bus. You miss the bus. You get another bus. Wrong route. Got to get off. Your phone died. That's the blues, right? Um, you end up at a party. You've had some drinks. You're feeling great. You get laid by the girl you love. And you're laying in the stars at night looking up. You got the blues, okay? Um, that you, you, uh, you, and that same girl the next week dies, right? She dies for some reason. That is the blues. Um, so these are, um, it's funny because there's, there's this kind of, um, a lot of blues songs kind of say this, these similar lines where it goes, woke up in the morning, blues all around my head, got up in the morning, like blues all around my bed, went to the kitchen, blues all around my bed. It, the blues, per, sorry, blues around my bread. The blues uh, permeates throughout every kind of object and aspect of society. And the way that you deal with these things, the way you approach them um, is through that lens of the blues. Uh, so anyway, you get home after a long day and you, you kind of, you have this like metaphorical box with you. And in this box has all of your issues, your, your insecurities, your, your, your tragedies, but also all of your most exciting parts, right? It's just your box. They've collected everything throughout the day. Get home, pick up your guitar, slide in your finger. You're essentially opening up the box. Now you're using all of this fucked up shit or even the good shit, but you're using all of it as a natural resource to now produce beautiful music. So you get home, you get the guitar and you just, you're not even thinking about what you're singing necessarily or what you're going to play, what notes you're going to play. You just let the blues out. You let the blues out and it produces this beautiful song. And the the type the type of music that's coming out is the blues because it's been using these situations as a tool set to write the song. Um, so it, it's funny because sometimes like say like therapy comes up and someone like, oh yeah, like I talked to my therapist about X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. They're helping me through these issues. I'm like, oh, neck, you um are you in therapy? I'm like, yeah, I am in therapy. And like, oh, true. I'm like, yeah, I have um, a lot of therapists, actually. In fact, I have over 100 therapists. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, you know, my therapists are Charlie Patton, Memphis Minnie, Blind Lemon Jefferson, Blind Lemon McTell. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, ha ha, very funny. But I'm being serious because that's, it's just, I think the blues is such a great way to deal with adversity. Because like I said, you use it as a natural resource to create amazing music and when you create that music it releases dopamine but you cannot create that music without fucked up shit happening it doesn't have to be a huge tragedy it could be knocking over the glass of water in the morning but the amazing thing about the blues is the negatives in life the sadness um the the frustrations all of that whether it's money issues love issues knocking the glass of water over in the morning the beauty of the blues is those are all imperative to create blues music and blues music brings you so much joy. So if you kind of trace back that syllogism, 
you cannot have that amazing release of joy and dopamine without these negative aspects. So it's a way of viewing them in a positive light. A lot of people will be like, why is the blue so negative? They're saying, you know, I woke up this morning, my baby's dead and gone. Woke up this morning, like blah, 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 like, you know, whatever. Why is the blue so sad? Why is the blue so negative? No, it's actually quite the opposite. It's using adversity as a natural resource to create an amazing sensation. Um, and so that's, I think, one way to view the blues. So the blues is, is everywhere you go. Um, it's everything you touch. It's everyone you see. That's why I said it's similar to religion. So I have, you know, old relatives or, or friends of mine who've described God to me, like, you know, God is everywhere. It's everything you mm -hmm. touch. It's every experience. And um, kind of growing up very atheist, I used to sort of like disagree with it, but I kind of see where they're coming from because I may not believe necessarily in, in, you know, whatever framework of God people work with, but I believe in the blues. And it's a similar sort of aspect of the way it permeates through everything. Um, now, the blues itself, the, the themes it uses is very, um, it's very cheeky. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of sex. There's a lot of violence, um, you know, betrayal, lying, um, there's a lot of kind of emotional pull um, or it can be, it can even sound plain, right? Silly sometimes. Um, and oftentimes it can even sound just very basic, like, you know, sitting in my porch, watching a clothes hanging on the line or, you know, so, something simple. It, 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 but it's so hard to explain the kind of way that, that, that as a blues artist, you, you sort of manipulate these kind of, you know, themes to mean what you really mean. I'll give you an example, actually. Um, Memphis Minnie and Kansas Show McCoy. They are a blues power couple from the 1920s and 1930s, dominating the Memphis blues music scene. They um, have certain songs, like many of their other blues counterparts, about um, certain things going on around them. So... They have a song about the mill broke down. They can't grind their corn because the mill broke down or the levee break broke. Um, the water's going to come and blow their house away or whatever because the levee broke, right? These these things that actually did happen, um, you know, you learn a lot about Southern Black history of the 1920s and 30s through these songs, like the, the infamous bull weevil, the beetle that kind of, or the little bug that ate all their crops and ruined their kind of economy. Um, the Mississippi floods, all this stuff. These are like actual things that happened. Mm -hmm. So what I call it, it's not even, it's not necessarily a metaphor because they're talking about real life things. Um, and they're, they're singing very literally, but then there's also the metaphor, metaphorical aspect. Um, the mill broke down. They are talking about an actual mill that broke down probably, but the song is also kind of about um, uh, erectile dysfunction. The way mm. that because Memphis Minnie and Kansas Joe McCoy are singing back and forth to each other. Uh, Memphis Minnie, she's like, I can't get no grinding. And then her husband, Kansas Joe, hey, the mill broke down, you know, you can't get no grinding. Um, but then why would they sing about erectile dysfunction? Well, you know, maybe it happened that one night when and he was just like, oh, shit, it's kind of embarrassing. But also there is a third level of that metaphor where um, Kansas Joe's masculinity is being stripped by him by you know 
segregation, white power, whatever you want to call it, lynching, which had a huge kind of effect on blues lyricism. So you're singing about the mill broke down, but three things are being described. The mill itself, their problems in bed, because it's a very sexual song, and this kind of greater um, fear that's being cast upon him. Um, there, Because there's a similar blues standard called um, My Red Rooster Won't Crow or My Little Red Rooster, however you want to call it, where it's like, um, Howling Wolf has a great version where he has this like really rough sound. And he's singing like, "Hey, you know, like my 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 rooster's too lazy to crow." That's another kind of sexual innuendo that you know shit's not working. <laughs> um, but he sings it with so much power and almost anger of again this masculinity stripped away from him from um, you know the powers that be at the time. Um, and that's just, this is a this is one example out of many, right? It, if you can sing about, well, let's take the Bull Weevil example. Um, Charlie Patton sang about it. Ma Rainey sang about it. Led Belly sang about it. All these people had dominated the blues music scene in the pre-war South. All the way up even to kind of the, the later sort of almost rockish blues artists like Fats Domino were singing about the Bull Weevil. The Bull Weevil, very infamous in the blues. Now, what is a Bull Weevil? It's just a, it's just a fucking insect that walks around eating your crops. Um, so when they sing about the bull weevil, they're literally singing about a bull weevil. That bull, that bug, that little insect or whatever, is, it, it is actually pissing them off. Like it's a literal song. But the bull weevil also kind of represents, again, back to the, the whole lynching and, 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 and economic um, uh, deprivation that, that, you know, the, the white supremacist United States of America was imposing on them, um, being subjugated to these kinds of work. The bull weevil comes, ruins all their crops, no money, no real economic mobility. That's that's the blues, you know, right there. That's the actual pain. So they're talking about the bug itself. Now, when they sing about their problems in this song, they're saying bull weevil, like, you know, such a cruel, evil fucking thing like why'd you do that bull evil why'd you take this away from me they're talking to again that a really sort of disturbing aspect of american history mm -hmm. who is the bull evil the bull evil is a lynch mob um and the blues is so cryptic because it comes from slavery where certain subject subjects were not allowed to be sung about now singing was encouraged due to this twisted idea that it increased productivity. But certain things like sex, violence, complaining about the institution, all that stuff were prohibited. So it becomes very cryptid. Sorry, very cryptic. So that's why you're singing about the mill breaking down, the levy breaking, you're singing about the bull evil. So because so over time, these um ways of describing situations, they end up sticking. Mm. So and, and the other interesting thing about the bull evil is you look back at the time, there's not this instant way of communicating like there is now with iPhones and the internet and whatnot. So when the bull evil would say it was, I forget if it was going from west to east or east to west, but um, it's eating all the crops in Texas. Now the folks over in Georgia, they already know what's going on faster than anyone else does. The blues artists know what's going on before everyone else does because the the speed of the folk songs were, were um we're going faster than a telegram or other kind of forms of communication. By the time 
the farmers in Georgia as a whole understood what's going on. The blues artists already knew because the, the kind of music is passing in speed. So it's almost even used as, as an actual like agent in that regard. But, but yeah, I mean, I can kind of like go all day into the specifics of what, you know, each metaphor means. It almost becomes a different language. Um, there's a lot of, especially the old blue songs, most people who aren't, you know, obsessed with the blues like I am will, will listen to it and just be like, what the hell are they talking about? What's the spoonful they're talking about? What's a jelly roll? What are all these things? But they all have kind of their own little definition. And there's this, um, there's this like a uh, verbal sort of database of all these different themes and words and ideas. And each blues song grabs them in their own combination. So, if, mm -hmm. so that's why I'm, 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 I'm so, um, that's why it's so important for me to preserve these themes and words and metaphors and ideas in my music, because I'm, you know, I'm part of, as a blues artist, part of this blues community where I'm using this and making my own combinations. And then hopefully these people who are listening to me can go on Google and be like, what is this guy talking about? Oh, it's blind lemon Jefferson. Well, let me add him to my playlist as well. Um, let me, now I I'm exposed to this new area of the blues. And so a lot of the times when I, um, talk about my music, um, you know, I have to talk about the blues in general first to contextualize it and also, you know, give it mobility, allow, um, you know, a lot of these older blues artists to kind of pierce into the, uh, you know, modern dome domain as much as possible. Yeah. I, I feel like I've been rambling that so was... much. I can't even remember what the fucking question was. You know, you asked I'm going to be honest. Were. I asked you what the blues were, and I think you gave a great answer. And I got so many points out of that that I want to actually highlight on. So hopefully you're ready. Um, yeah, no, I'm ready. The first but... being like that whole idea of using like the pain, the the good and the bad of like your life and using that to make good music. I feel like mm -hmm. is such a key factor to good music because mm -hmm. it's something that I've joked a lot about with uh, my girlfriend and other people before. Where I'm like, why is it that when artists are happy, their music sucks ass right like they go from making like really powerful really good songs that really resonate they're they're raw you feel that emotion it comes through in both the lyrics and the in the instruments used and how everything's kind of comes together and then when they're like really happy and at good points in their life they just make garbage um well, the, the, this is a thing though you'll um, go for it yeah i don't mean to cut you off but so i consider myself a very happy person right um i don't you know, I'm not a very anxious or like depressed person. I, I consider myself to have like, you know, great kind of brain chemistry in that regard. But I also consider myself to be a good artist. But it's back to what I was telling you before is because I've been able to use the blues to a, to a sense um, as like a therapeutic function where that box where all of the fucked up shit that happens, all the tragedy, all the inconveniences, whatever it is, you put it in that box, you don't open it and let it consume you um cause you to do erratic things or have you know a, just have a bad time and be sad right keep that box but you also don't want to keep that box closed and, and just let it fester over time that's not healthy but with the blues like i said come every night when it's time to play blues you let the box out you let them fly out but now you're interacting with them through the blues yeah. which is generally a positive thing um so i think that and that's why any form of music or art 
is going to use your experiences in life and reflect it. But I think what's unique about the blues is it's kind of more focused on that sort of on the kind of negatives, on the inconveniences and the tragedies, but using that to create something yeah. positive. Well, and um, I think so a lot of blues um... artists were depressed. A lot of blues artists were not depressed. You know, sure. it's kind of it's kind of like that. Um, but but also we have completely different lives. Most of these blues artists had really, 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 really tough lives. So I can't compare. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that out. No, yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that also like, kind of highlights the next point that I was going to make was that like it's so fascinating to me, like the influence that um, Black or African American culture has had on America for literally since our inception, right? With both like shaping language, shaping music, shaping culture, um, and it seems like the same ideas that you were talking about there through like the blues and talking about hardships, like that's the same thing that like kicked off, you know, the hip hop movement or rap music as it is was talking about kind of, you know, the oppression that they were facing under kind of the the segregated society of both, you know, basically the the difference in racial policing and having to deal with like being racially profiled and being targeted during like things like the, you know, the the drug war or, you know, the the, the raids on poverty and all this kind of things that they've dealt with. And it always kind of comes back to these same themes of like using music to process both tragedy and hardship and to make something beautiful out of it in its own way. Yeah. It, a lot of it is just, um, you know, using it to, as, as, as agency, um, you know, using the blues to get through these hard times and, and kind of make it out. Um, that's why agency itself, I think is such a, key feature in the blues whether that comes in the form of a handgun or a train or or whatever it may be agency is such a key factor in blues music um because because yeah i mean the blues comes from from you know survival you're you're you know you're you're singing these songs to to keep yourself going um or even like you know they escape in slavery you, you sing about um, going to the river, right? Um, as code for for a certain, mm-hmm. you know, um, pathway or 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 that you are going to make that escape, and you see it in the blues too. I mean, it's a lot of riverside references. Um, you know, "Mama Way the Glory," um, and and what's what's interesting about that actually is that um, on my Brazilian side. Um, as a kid, I grew up doing something called capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial art, um, but it's also a type of music. And long story short, the slaves in Brazil pretended really like they were kind of dancing and singing mostly. And the the dancing that they were doing was, I mean, they weren't pretending they were, but the, the dancing they were doing was also a fight. So the martial art of capoeira is a hybrid of a dance and a fight. So they're able to trick their masters into thinking they're practicing dancing and not practicing something to liberate them and then eventually using that to defend themselves and 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 you know escape the reason why i bring this up is because capoeira music sounds very similar to blues music and and like early blues music like pre-war blues music sounds quite similar to capoeira music and the themes um not all the themes because i think the blues is a lot more kind of at least surface level cynical and a lot cheekier, but a lot of the themes are consistent between the two. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, how is it that these two forms of music that never interacted with each other from different continents have these same 
factors, even some of the rhythms are the same. Well, it's because they have that common ancestry from West Africa. They have that common ancestry and then they were, you know, influenced by other aspects of their respective environments. But the, but that kind of liberating factor, using it as a form of survival and liberation and agency, um, it, it persists. So I think that, I mean, music has always been a tool to, you know, help communities survive, um, whether it's it's a community, a descendants of slavery or whether it's a descendants of, of a Holocaust or or, you know, um, forced immigration, whatever it is, music and art in general has always been um, a form of survival and and, uh, and liberation. Right. Yeah. And kind of, I guess, to hit on that point, I mean, do you see, you know, in the times that we're living in now as kind of one of these moments in which you feel like people need the blues or or something to kind of look towards and help them get through? Blues. Yeah. Um, I think that the blues needs to be prescribed to to people more often. I mean, I, I, I it might sound like I'm getting my sort of like niche interest in life and trying to throw it onto everyone and act like it's something like very broad and necessary in life, which to a degree I, I kind of am admittedly, but at the same time, I think that the blues is so universal and such a genius, genius genre of music. I mean, I think that there's so many great genres of music, but not many genres of music are also a philosophy first and foremost. And at least in American society, almost every music we come, we listen to is traced back to the blues as that kind of initial baseline of music. And well, how, why is it that this form of music was able to be so influential yet so kind of disregarded? Mm -hmm. um, well, the reason why I think this being so influential is because of the power that the blues has. I think what it has over other genres is that unique kind of philosophy, that doctrine that you know blues artists like and it's kind of a fault to be honest like it, it's it, i wouldn't say it's a good thing but as a blues artist me included we cannot really play other genres typically maybe some can but generally like i cannot i i, I consider myself a very good guitarist but i cannot play things outside of blues because it's different from other genres the blues is like it's almost a cult and blues artists have this like true blues artists not people who play the blues but pl true blues artists have a shared um philosophy um and i think the blues is so unique i think that it needs to be taught more in schools and taught the right way i think that you ask anyone on the street if you ask five people on the street who elvis presley is who bob dylan is who the Rolling Stones are, who Led Zeppelin are. Um, I guarantee you, if you ask someone that in like the streets in New York, every single one of them would say they know who they are, right? If you ask them who Furry Lewis is, who Blind Lemon Jefferson is, um, who Henry Thomas is, who, you know, I can go on and on, all right? Who, who Mammy Smith is, blah, blah, blah. Most of them... I mean, I would be very, very, very surprised if anyone knew who even one of these artists were. So so why is it that, I mean, obviously people know things are more modern, but it's not just that. 
It's not just that. that for some reason, and I think systematically, these early blues artists were just buried in our history books and they need to be taught more. People need to know more about them and what they had to say. And I think the blues needs to be, people need to understand what the blues is. People, I think we have a duty as Americans to, um, it's just like studying American history. Like, you know, you study the founding fathers, you study the the framework of our democracy, all that's important because you want, you need to know the history of, of where you live, why society operates, it does. It's the same thing with the blues. American culture, American culture was founded on these founding fathers and mothers. It was American culture was founding, founded on these blues principles that people just have no idea about. And I think it, it just, it needs, people need to know. Um, I think it should be taught in schools. I think it should be taught in colleges. I think it should be more common knowledge. And again, that is my, one of my big motivations as an artist is to use what I can do um, to kind of try and carry that torch. Yeah, it's a noble pursuit. And I mean, it's on that note about your own kind of music and your own way of making the blues, how did you end up deciding on kind of combining the, the elements that you have to make? Yeah, it, it, sound? It, it, I wish I can say it was my idea, but it wasn't. Um, I pulled up to a studio that, that I've recorded at since like 2018, 2019, I think it was maybe 2019. It was so about four years ago um, as a blues artist. As a very sort of disciplined, um, I play this style of blues and nothing will ever change it type of blues artist. So I walk in the studio and I'm like, hey, guys, um, my first time there, very kind of hip hop leaning. I'm like, hey, guys, I play the blues. And they're just like, OK. And I'm like, I'm going to play the blues. Right? So I walk in there <laughs> and I go to walk in and then one of them is like, hey, man, can we like throw some like trap beats on your shit? Like make it more dope, make it more jumpy or whatever. And I was just like, no, you cannot throw trap beats on my son fuck out of here right so i get in the booth right play my music um and i walk out the booth and there are these fuckers are just <laughs> all the shit and then i was just like but then but, but i was like wait a second why why does this sound good why does why did why do these two genres with like a hundred year discrepancy why do they why does it sound so compatible right um turns out trap music and blues have a fuck ton in, in common including kind of a, a, a semi-direct lineage um but i was just thinking like wait this is really fucking dope it was a song called redline blues it was the first song i ever put out um and it's actually my second most popular song um and then i was just and then that gave me the idea and i kind of saw the vision behind it of using trap beats as a vehicle to because you know the only kind of people who are going to listen to music that sounds like pre-war blues or the only people who will listen to that style of blues are people who are already listening to that style of blues not only is that not a whole lot of people but you're not really enlightening them but what if i can bring a charlie patton or a furry Lewis style song to a teenager's AirPods or someone in their twenties. And, and I mean, age aside, just someone who doesn't really know the blues trap beats is how you get that to happen. Um, now, will I be doing trap blues forever? Probably not. 
um, other forms of modern percussion or, or just, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not a trap blues artist, right? I'm neck bar him. Like I, I play my style of music. It's the blues, but it's my style. But right now for the past four years and probably for the next couple of years, um, trap blues is my project. And so there's, it was, it was formed kind of on accident, but um, it's, it's being used very consciously if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it is a, it, a happy little accident then. Cause it, it is such a unique sound. Like it, when it, I first it heard it, I was like, what in the hell am I listening it, to right now? And then I kept I listening to it and I was like, hey, why do I like it? Right. Like yeah. that, like that was like the genuine reaction it was like, this doesn't sound like it should work. Right. Like yeah, just yeah, from yeah. the, grip of the guitar and then just like the heavy like bass comes and i'm like what is going on right now but it it works it it really does work in a weird way I, and i think that like i i think that i think my songs are dope as shit and i wouldn't be pursuing music to this degree if i didn't think i had good music but not everyone's gonna like my music right some people think it's amazing the best thing since sliced bread other people will think they hate it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing that I know for a fact that is practically just objective, that whether people, whether my biggest admirers or my, you know, biggest critics, one thing everyone always agrees on is it's, they've never heard it before. Um, that's something I know that's categorical, that it just, it simply does not exist. I mean, people have kind of attempted to merge both trap and blues but a they haven't made it into like a consistent repeatable genre b i'm kind of i'm honestly just assuming people have tried it but i haven't heard it before i've tried it looked for it i've I found like sort of hybrids but not really and c it's never like early blues the type of blues that i'm really trying to trying to drag up right mm -hmm. um but but yeah i i i I believe in myself, right? But at the end of the day, the one thing I know for sure is whether people like it or not, it it's it's not something anyone else has heard. Um, yeah, 100%. You know, it is definitely unique, which not a lot of people can say in terms of music. The The downside is that it, there's a lot of songs I have to throw away because it's not that easy for my engineers to make a trap blues song, especially sure. the type of especially the type of blues I'm playing. Um so yeah there are a lot of songs I'm, I'm excited to bring to the studio but it just does not really work um but then some songs just click like that and then i can you know bring it to the forefront so kind of coming to the end here um just a couple more things i wanted to get from you more on the the life aspect you know uh being where you are today what would you say you know to somebody who's just getting out of college and they're kind of trying to decide between career and passion uh, what advice would you give that's a really good question. Um, don't try to think of them as at odds with each other. I know that might kind of contradict a bit of what I was saying earlier, but at the end of the day, don't don't see it as having to pick one or the other. Um, I think a lot of times people kind of think of it like that way. Mm. But, you know, I think follow your passion you don't have to follow it blindly you don't have to drop out of school 
and follow your, I mean, you can do that. <laughs> um, but use a career as a way of achieving your passion. Yeah. But, you know, don't let it suck you in because it's, um, it's not, it, it, it's easy to get sucked in. Absolutely. And then the last thing is, uh, you know, when you kind of look out into the future, are you pessimistic, optimistic, or neutral about where things are headed? Like what things? <laughs> so both on a world scale, like the country, mm-hmm. the the greater planet, and both as in the life and personal uh, journey you're on. Personal life journey I'm in. Um, I, I I'm I'm optimistic. I think that right now it's just a matter of of making sure I'm being my best self. Um, having fun while I'm young, but also making sure that I have the discipline to um, do the things I know I need to do to be successful both. And I don't mean just being successful as an artist or, you know, at work, but being a successful human being, like being the best person version of myself. Right. I'm optimistic. Um, I, I really am. <laughs> but not yet for the world. We're fucked. That's um, I, I, I mean, I, I I wear the the hat of optimism every day because I kind of have to, um, to like survive. But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we're we're fucked. It's it's not like a great thing to talk about, but um, yeah, we're so fucked. <laughs> oh yeah, great. Well, thank you, Nick, for joining me today. Um, last thing is, you got anything you want to plug? Any socials where people can find you on Spotify? Or yeah, Apple music. Yeah, where you're at? yeah, yeah. Um, sure. Uh, neck barham um i'm sure if, if you air this episode you'll have it written out so don't absolutely that. um yeah I'm, i mean anywhere you stream your music wherever you listen to music just search up neck barham um give it a little test run and see if you see if you like it absolutely guys go check it out it is definitely um, something you need plug wise sorry plug wise oh, i did ahead. have a yeah plug right wise i had a recent ep um sorry not ep a recent single that i dropped um sort of in the wake of the new year so not so long ago um called 3220 blues give that a yeah check it out it's um a great way to understand what trap blues is and also understand what the blues is as a philosophy and what you know 3220 blues means in the world of blues music um so yeah it's like it's got a heavy bass a real kind of evil trap beat sound and 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 the and the great sort of blues um couple of you know great blues verses so that's a great sort of epitome of trap blues um it's my last single so check it out um whoever listens to that i hope you like it perfect thanks again man and take care and we'll catch you all next time all right thanks for having me mate have a great one If I
Ah, 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 ah,